This is the Agenda Podcast on the Blood Red Channel, taking a bite-sized look at some of the big Liverpool FC talking points. Hello everyone and welcome along to the Agenda Podcast on the Blood Red Channel, courtesy of Liverpool Echo with me, your host, Patrick Smith. Now don't worry, today's topic isn't going to be about Liverpool's midfield, it's actually going to regard the situation further up the pitch following Darwin Nunes' suspension and the absences of Roberto Firmino and Diogo Jota. Well, joining me to talk through all this is a dynamic duo of Liverpool.com editor Matt Addison. Matt, how's things? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. We were uh, just saying before we came on, it's it's hard to talk about anything other than the midfield, but very glad to be talking about something slightly different today. Yeah, indeed. We've also got a different guest with us as well. We're joined by football journalist David Lynch. Welcome to the pod, Lynchy. Oh, thank you very much. Are we, going, are we going for Lynchy then instead of uh, David <laughs> Davis? I'll mix it up. I'll mix it up. Mate. <laughs> Good stuff, fellas. Let's get stuck right in, shall we? Matt, I'll come to you first. Let's open the talking with Darwin Nunes. It's where we have to start, really. is sending off. Have you had any further thoughts in retrospect after a couple of days or are you still as confused as the rest of us? Yeah, not not particularly any, any more sympathy or, or anything more to, to add on it, to be honest. I think it was just a moment of madness that he's got to learn from. I think there's there's something to be said for a kind of a feistiness and a bit more of a, a bite about you in, in terms of sort of being able to stand up for yourself and, and not allow yourself to be bullied. But there's certain ways of, of doing that, isn't there? And, and that certainly was not one of them. And he's going to have to pay the price now. And the one thing we always said going into this season, not least because of the Diogo Jota injury, was that he needed to start fast. He needed to, to get a goal, needed to, to sort of settle in fairly quickly. And it's just kind of delayed that process. I think now there's three games that he's going to be suspended for. You know, a couple of those home games that you would have fancied, you know, Bournemouth and, and Newcastle, you could have thought that he would have had a few chances to score in in those matches. Obviously, United as well is one that I'm sure he'd be gutted to miss. And even the first match that he's now available for now is the Everton match. And you kind of got a bit of a, a question mark. Obviously, it depends on who's back. But I'm not quite 100% sure whether I'd throw him straight back in after that. You can imagine James Tarkovsky and one or two of the Everton players getting around him and, and trying to wind him up again. And obviously, he's got to learn to, to deal with that and he's got to come back into the team at some point. But I wonder whether he might have possibly just sort of taken himself out of, of consideration if Liverpool have enough options by that point in, in time to, to not play him. But yeah, it, it was frustrating. I think he'll know. We've seen the, the apology, the tweets that, that he puts out. He obviously regrets it. The main thing now is just that he learns from it and it doesn't happen again. I mean, that's the thing other Prem set hours be taking notes. With the referees seemingly being a little bit more lenient at the start of the season, it's not going to look good for a derby match if he's back in. But Dave, where does this rank among probably one of the worst Anfield Davies? We've got a couple of howlers that spring to mind, but does he take the crown for the worst start as a Liverpool player? I mean, you know, he was he was unfortunate with that. He had the chance beforehand, didn't he, where he hits the post with a bit of a scuff shot and... You know, I, th- I thought he looked, you know, fairly lively. Otherwise, I just think, but you know, the reason it, you put it up there is one of the worst is because you know I think it it, it was so unnecessary the sending off. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't diving in for a challenge that he needed to make or anything like that. It just completely allowed, you know, Anderson to wind him up. And I think what sort of surprised me the most about it is is that you you always think, and it, it is a bit of a cliche about South American centre halves maybe being the kings of the wind up and, and stuff like that. And, and you know, I think some really good examples of that. And so I can't imagine it's the first time he's ever faced that sort of um, that sort of treatment, really. And and so for him to react to it was just um, just shows really what the, that he's feeling a little bit of the pressure of coming to Liverpool, that big money move. You know, he's maybe maybe that's got to him a little bit. He wants to get off to a great start at Anfield if he can. 
Um, and, and so we obviously sort of felt a little bit of that pressure and that led to, you know, Matt rightly describes as a, as a moment of madness. But um, yeah, so not, not a great Anfield debut. It's, it's going to set him back a little bit as well. And you, you just hope that, you know, when he comes back, if he doesn't get thrown straight in, which I agree probably won't, the, the fact that there's a five, five substitutes rule, you know, it won't be too long to be seen back on the pitch. I don't think Jurgen Klopp's hands are going to be tied in terms of substitution. So he can get him back involved if Liverpool are a, a couple up in a game and, and wants to just get him get him back on the pitch as, as quick as he can. But yeah, it has set him back a little bit and, and really not ideal at the moment with obviously Roberto Firmino missing the last game, Diogo Jota being out. You know, Liverpool's attack has really been thinned by that uh, suspension that was completely unnecessary. I mean, yeah, you mentioned there that the attack's run very thin, but we've got the luxury now of being able to rotate and bring subs on. But we might not even be in that position because we've got so few attackers at the moment, Matt, haven't we? I mean, we've got Diogo Jota out for another couple of weeks. Firmino did miss the Palace match through injury, wasn't fit enough for the bench. Obviously, Darwin Nunes out for the next three games. So what do you think Klopp's going to do? Let's start with the Manchester United game. You know, we've got three attackers out as it stands. Who would you start in the front three if he even plays a front three? Yeah, I mean, it depends on Firmino, doesn't it? It was a precaution that, that kept him out on Monday. So you'd like to think there's a, a decent chance of him being able to come back. But then again, there is a bit of a history of Liverpool playing down injuries. And then it turns out that they're a little bit longer than what we initially thought. And again, you look at Firmino last season, there was a couple of times he tried to come back, gets injured again and, and ended up missing a, a huge amount of last season through those injuries. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to see any risks taken and if Firmino isn't there, then I think you've got a bit of a, a decision to make. I think the way that I would probably go is to, to stick with the three, but have the Cavalio and, and Diaz kind of interchange one on the left and one through the middle um, and, and bring Cavalio into the team. I think for, for a couple of reasons, really, I think it looked quite good. He had that shot, didn't he, Cavalio, at the end of, of the game on Monday, which could have been you know, a, a different story if he gets that on target. They look decent. Diaz, I think, looked pretty decent through the middle as well. And also, it, it keeps Mohamed Salah in his best position. It then keeps Harvey Elliott as well in his best position in that midfield. I think he's got to, to stick. I think he was was one of the, the bright sparks, really, against Palace. So that would be that would be what I'd do. But equally, I can see a scenario where maybe you bring Elliott into the front three, change the midfield around, maybe have Salah through the centre. For me, though, I'd rather keep Salah out on that right-hand side. I just think he's, well, he's, he's definitely Liverpool's best player at his best. Harvey Elliott was definitely Liverpool's best player on Monday. It, it kind of makes more sense to me to stick with those two in the, the positions that they seem to excel in. I mean, Lynch, same question to you. Are you altering the shape at all or formation or are you going for a similar situation to Matt and attack there? I, I think, you know, it, it shows you really, Jürgen's got very few options really if, if Firmino doesn't make it. I think it's it becomes really difficult straight away because... I think he'd be praying that he's fit because, you know, I think it's a game he maybe would have started anyway. I think I think he likes him in these big away games in terms of what he does closing down and, and, and how he occupies centre-halves and the, the space he can create because I don't think United's defensive structure is particularly fantastic. And I think it'd be very easy to make Maguire walk into midfield and create gaps in behind. Um, so yeah, I think he'd be absolutely praying there. That Firmino's fit, but then if he's not, I think Carvalho is the obvious one to come in. I don't think beyond that, Liverpool have got an awful lot of options. And, and as Matt rightly points out, I think Harvey Elliott, you want to keep him in midfield. He was he was really bright in the last game, I thought, really good performance. And, and you know, in terms of picking up those little pockets and making things difficult behind United's midfield, which we know is a weakness for them, I think, you know, you really want Elliott in there. And he doesn't really have that that sort of express pace if, you, if you're going to put him in the front three. So I think, yeah. I think Carvalho's got to be the one that, that comes in if Firmino doesn't make it. But like I say, I think Jurgen Klopp will be really hopeful that Firmino can make this one. 
Yeah, we could see more of Carvalho as well. He's obviously only had two 10, 15 minute cameos so far on the Premier League. Nice to have a little bit more of a run. But Matt, Sadio Mane leaving, obviously, it's going to show. He's one of the greatest ever Liverpool attackers, one of the best players in the world. So Justin's life after him was going to be tough, but he's effectively been replaced by Darwin Nunes in the first team. But following the departures of Takumi Minamino and to some extent, well, especially actually, <laughs> Divock it now seems Liverpool don't really have any substitute attacking options, really, do we? Because like Carvalho technically is a number 10 midfielder. We're playing an attack, obviously, but there's no, at the moment, striker or winger on the bench, really, is there? Yeah, they do do suddenly look a little bit like, don't they? I mean, it's, it's skewed slightly by the injuries. I don't think you would have expected that Diogo Jota would get a recurrence of that injury that he had earlier in the summer quite so soon. Obviously, if he's there, maybe you're looking at it a little bit differently. Even just one or two of the chances, I think you know, it wouldn't have taken too much to have gone differently. As bad as Liverpool played against, even against Fulham on the opening day, they, they could have still just about got away with that with one or two slight tweaks in the way that it went. So we could very easily be sitting here with you know Liverpool on six points and we're talking about it in a different way. But I know what you mean. It, it did feel a little bit like they were lacking something in attack. And I think it's almost impossible for them to, to have replaced Divock Origi. I don't think there's another player out there who does that job and who would be prepared to do that job as well, even if they were very, very good at it. What he did essentially was sit on the bench for, for six, seven weeks and then pop up with a moment whenever Liverpool needed him. And you can't necessarily expect a, a player to come in and, and do that equally. He would have wanted to go and, and play regular football and, and hopefully go and, and kick on in the rest of his career. So, it's a bit of a difficult one. It's it's a hard one to criticise Liverpool for letting him go and not finding another replacement for him. But at the same time, it's it is it is going to be a miss. We saw that even last season. He maybe didn't have quite the impact that he'd had on certain other moments and certain other seasons. But he still popped up with a couple of, of late winners for Liverpool. And across the course of a season, we know there's probably not going to be that much. If Liverpool do manage to win the league, they're not going to win it by a number of points. It could just be that, you know, maybe one of the draws they've had already, maybe in a future match, if they drop points, you are going to look at it and think, well, you can't guarantee that Divock Origi would come off the bench and have changed that, but he would have just given Crystal Palace or, or Fulham something different to think about, which, you know, it can, it can make all the difference and it can make all the difference in the title race as well. The Agenda on the Blood Red channel. I'm going to bring it back, Dave, to Carvalho and Elliot, because obviously they can both play an attack. They're at the moment the makeshift backup, well, not makeshift, but backup attacking options at this early stage of this season. Where do you see the long-term future of those two players, though? Because for me, I personally think the midfields, but in a defensive capacity, but can you see Carvalho maybe becoming an attacker? Yeah, I think it goes back to something I mentioned earlier in terms of both of them Pace-wise, I just don't know. You know, if if Liverpool are going to stick with this system and those 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 wingers coming in to score the majority of goals, I just I'm not sure that either is sort of quick enough to have a long-term future in in the forward line. I think you know Harvey Elliott really is already showing that he's capable of playing him in field now, and he, and he's ready for that responsibility as well. So I don't think you know, I think Jurgen Klopp would be reluctant to sort of move him out of there, not least because as well his his natural position, if he was to be part of the front three, would be. On Salah's side, and he's you know consistently, you know, Touchwood is consistently fit, um, so you know I think Elliot will we will see from now on in in midfield is is the way I see it. With Carvalho, I think because he's new to the club and he hasn't really you know been involved in a lot of training with these new players in this new system, I think the forward line is where they see him being just initially. Uh, you know, long term again, they'll probably drop him back into that. You know, the two number eights and, and, and him and Elliot on either side is is maybe what they see in the long term future. But I think 
at the moment and for the foreseeable we probably will see him in the forward line and that it's good to have that option at, at least because you know as we say that the, the options have been thinned uh, by the injuries that Liverpool have got at the moment but yeah I think long term both are probably looking at, at being in the, uh, the attacking midfield position. I think that the conversation is is almost it doesn't have to be about are they going to be a midfielder or are they going to be a forward you look at, at Manchester City you look at Phil Foden all of the, the players like that it doesn't necessarily have to be that they see one role for him moving forwards. I think, obviously, we see Kevin De Bruyne playing further forward at times, but generally as a midfielder, maybe if you, you're at that level and you're the first name on the team sheet, maybe that's the case. But I even think that with someone like Curtis Jones, I mean, I've been surprised at how much they've been insistent that he is absolutely a midfielder and, and not a, a player who can play a little bit further forwards. So I think I think sometimes it doesn't have to be he is a number eight and that's where he's going to play now. It, it can just be a case of if there's a spot for Cavalio to play further forwards, then he can do that. If we need him in midfield, he can do that. I think that there should be, it's almost more beneficial for them to be a little bit more flexible with that rather than, you know, if if Cavalio has to be a left winger, for example, he's not going to get that many minutes because Luis Diaz is 25 and is going to have that role for the time being. So I think that fluidity helps Liverpool, but it probably helps the, the players involved as well. I do, I do. Sorry, just to come in on that, I do wonder though whether it's sort of it's a slightly different case for Liverpool though, just because of the way they play football in comparison to City. I think it's maybe with City. I think that's a really good point actually. That you know you can look at that front three and the way that it, it's made up, and a lot of the time, and particularly last season when they were playing with false nine, a lot of, of well recent seasons really, uh, more before Haaland came in, is that you could name you know Foden, Silva, any any of that amount of players that could possibly have played on the wing but could also drop back into midfield. De Bruyne could probably do the same on the right-hand side or even the left, I suppose. Um, I, I just don't know whether Liverpool, the way this team and this squad has been built, have that flexibility in terms of the way they play. I think if if you lose pace on the right or left, you you lose a lot from the system. And I think it's one of the really difficult things about replacing Roberto Firmino, really, is that he's so built perfectly for this system to play that false nine role. Um, and this switch to Darwin Nunez playing there in the long term, I think that's going to be sort of a tricky transition for Liverpool and make things a little bit more difficult for them in attack. You know, maybe, maybe in fact, that, that slight transition and the fact that things are changing now is why we've seen it not be quite so perfect at the start of the season because it's different, different personnel in there and things are changing slightly. So I'm not sure. I think it's, it, I think it's difficult if you put Carvalho in on that left-hand side consistently and not just making substitute appearances. I think, you know, that shortfall in terms of pace might start to show up and, and in terms of, you know, can he get the goals of a level of a Salah or a Mane? It's, it, it's a difficult one for Liverpool. And I think, you know, I think it's why they might look an attacker short this season, really, especially compared to last season, which is possibly the best squad they've ever had, uh, I would argue. I mean, you know, that's such an important point to remember. You know, last year's squad is an absolute joke when you look at it on paper, to be honest. We also touched on my next question there to Matt regarding Roberto Firmino, because obviously his contract is at the end of this season. His future's still undecided. Now, is there a case, Matt, for maybe selling Firmino now and taking some cash, similar to the Sadio Mane situation and bringing someone else in? Or do you think they really need to knuckle him down to a new contract if he wants to? No, I don't think there's any chance he leaves at this point. I think there's there was probably an argument for that at the start of the summer, but then Liverpool would have argued, well, they've already got enough to do if they're letting Sadio Mane go and you've already... We're already starting to talk about maybe the transition into Luis Diaz maybe hasn't clicked straight away, uh, in, not into Diaz, into to Darwin Nunez, sorry, hasn't quite clicked straight away with, with Diaz and, and Salah either side looking a little bit isolated and, and all of that kind of thing. I think 
I can see why they wanted to do one this summer, possibly one next summer, but then maybe I would have done another attacker this summer to give them 12 months to get used to it, similar to how Diaz really came in with those six months to get used to it, and then you bring him into it. Possibly they could have done a little bit more with the, the forward thinking in terms of, of the forward line, but I don't know. I, I, For me personally, I think for me, you know, you know, he'd be nearly 32 by the time his contract expires. It kind of feels like one where it's probably the right time to, to move him on. We mentioned the injury problems before. I know it's, you know, it's, it's an almost impossible one to find another Firmino, but I think it would be a surprise to me if, if they gave him a contract more than, than a year, put it that way. I think it's, it's probably the right time to, to try and, and move the forward line on again. But like I say, I can understand why they've not done it this summer, but yeah, at this stage, are they going to let him go? Absolutely not. I think you'd, you'd absolutely have to, to go and get someone who's, a real, real star. I think you're going to have to go and spend at least 50, 60 million on, on a replacement to, to come in and, and do a similar sort of thing as as what he can do and, and just be another body, really. We're already talking about them being a little bit light in that area. Right now, it would be a risk. Next summer, I think there's there's possibly more of a, a case for that being, being something that you'd look at. You've seen how sort of I know Sadio Mane kind of wanted to, to take the new challenge and, and move on. I think Liverpool probably wanted to, to start that process as well. So they can be ruthless. I think the time to be ruthless, though, is, is probably 2023 with Firmino. I mean, Lynch, you mentioned the difficulty of replacing Firmino, but let alone replacing him, replacing him in the starting eleven and playing without him. It's such a different ball game with Nuno, isn't it? Or cliche there. Are you similarly along with Matt? Would you let him go or do you think he needs to stay? Yeah, I think I think I agree with Matt in terms of it's it's too late now to sort of you know begin the search for a replacement or someone who you know Liverpool to move for a new attacker and you know I think that the next person they get in will be someone for the long term so it will be someone who's you know expensive to be honest I'm not sure that's something Liverpool will want to do at the moment but it is it is a difficult transition that, that Liverpool are overseeing at the moment they've been so used to that system of winger false nine winger. And, and moving something new in, in Nunez is, is is going to take a little bit of time. I think they found that, in fact, at times with, with Diogo Jota playing in that position because he was such a different different sort of player in terms of, you know, wants to threaten him behind more, but maybe not quite as good at the hold-up play and, and linking up into those areas or bringing defenders with him into midfield to create gaps. And so I think we've seen before that they're finding that a little bit difficult at times, but you know, there's so much quality there that you back Jurgen Klopp and the team to, to get it right eventually. But yeah, Firmino, a really unique player who's, yeah, had a brilliant impact. And, and, and I think for this season, if it if it is going to be a sort of farewell season, I'm, I'm sure he'll play a big part again if he can stay fit. We just hope this is just a, a small injury that he's got. The Agenda on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, well, the, exp- the, re- the replacement for him will be an expensive one. But let's talk about some signings because there's been talk of signing potentially a backup winger this summer or lots of rumours regarding it. Jeremy Pino is the one that's been linked all summer. He's probably the most heavily reported. There's also some pretty weak talk, I'd say, of talk of Marco Senzio, Guzman Dembele, Ishmael Asar. Would any of those tempt you, David? Or would they tempt Jurgen Klopp at all, do you think? I, I know they, they really liked Saar, for example. I think, it, you know, it's funny to see that he's sort of being linked with Palace now as well. Um, I think it'd be a really good signing for for them if they could get that over the line. A player who sort of he maybe fell off the, the peak of the point where he was, where Liverpool were really sort of intently looking at him and, and maybe not sort of his goal return hasn't quite lived up to what they expected, but a really talented player. And I think, you know, you, you can see for all the reasons, that the, the things we've spoke about on this podcast so far, why, why Liverpool are being linked with wingers, because they do look a little light up top at the moment. But I think, you know, I think for this season... 
Liverpool would probably be happy with what they've got in terms of, you know, just get Jota back from injury, hope, you know, get Nunez back from his suspension. Hopefully for me, you know, nothing too serious. And, and he'll say that they've probably got enough and we, we maybe we'll, as we've mentioned earlier, see a little bit of Carvalho on that left-hand side as well. So, yeah, I, think, I, I don't expect Liverpool to, to go into the market for anything else. I think they've been pretty consistent about that since the start of the summer that the business was done. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting that those wingers are getting thrown out there because I think it says a little bit about where the, the squad's at at the moment in terms of where the injuries are. I can see a, a little bit of, of the Jeremy Pino stuff. I think that makes sense. He's he's a young player. He's obviously only yeah. played, I think, four or five times for Spain. He's obviously one that I'm sure they'll be aware of and, and will know. But I don't think it necessarily has to be a, a pure sort of out-and-out winger that they would look at. I, I would expect, to be honest, it, it would be more likely it could be someone that can play a variety of those roles. I think if you look at what you would expect the first choice front three to be when everyone's fit and, and not suspended would be Nunez through the middle and, and Diaz and Salary the side. You've got Diogo Jota to, to put into that mix as well. It, it it does strike me as one where you could have another Jota type player to, to be that backup and try and force their way in, but also be able to, to play across left and right, which I think is important, but also a little bit through the centre as well. So we mentioned before, it's not going to be a kind of Roberto Firmino like for like type player but if it was someone who could maybe do a bit of that but also a bit of, of the wide stuff and, and had a little bit of pace as well that that probably would be would be the ideal scenario but obviously trying to find that is, is pretty hard. I mean I suppose Matt Jeremy's got that kind of inside forward slash winger hybrid skill set within him hasn't he would he be an ideal replacement do you think in that scenario? Yeah I mean possibly like I say it makes it makes a little bit of sense I think it would be it would be a risk at this point. I know he's he's obviously been you know a Spanish international now for a few months. He's he scored I think one in four for them. He's he's done a couple of, of decent bits within his career, but even last season, you look at, at Villarreal, he he played quite a few times. His his number of appearances is quite high, but the vast majority of those are coming off the bench. He's not one that's really broken into their team at, at that moment in time. So obviously that could change this season. He could completely explode and, and become, you know, a real a real talent and suddenly his price tag could absolutely shoot up. But at this moment in time, if if you're not really a regular for Villarreal, I don't think you're really going to be quite at the level just yet. Obviously there's there's a high ceiling there and, and Liverpool would be far more best positioned to, to say how high that ceiling is than I am. But I'm sure he's one that they would take a look at and consider among you know a, a number of, of other options as well of a similar age. I just wonder whether at this moment in time, I think he's still only 19, it, it maybe doesn't quite make sense just yet, but possibly it doesn't make sense for Liverpool this summer either. So maybe the, the timing could align in terms of if one or two of these players that are being linked have big seasons this season, maybe next season it'd be one. Just to, to throw another name out there, he's not particularly been linked, but Pedro Neto, I absolutely love him. I think he'd be perfect. Hope he does bits me in FPL this weekend. He needs to step it up for me. <laughs> I mean, Matt, it's becoming, you know, it's not necessary that Liverpool sign attacker. It's looking increasingly unlikely. But you're a bit of an academy expert yourself. Are there any bright prospects coming through that could get a shot at the place on Liverpool's bench? Well, I think Kate Gordon would have been in with a pretty decent chance of, of being on the bench for both of the first two games if, if he hadn't been a little bit injured and a little bit unlucky again. He seems to, to have had a few injuries at a few different unfortunate times in, in his Liverpool career so far. So hopefully those can, can kind of clear up. I don't know, you know, whether there's a similarity there. Curtis Jones has, has had a, a few of those as well, hasn't he? Maybe it's, it's just one of those things that you get with, with young players where they get a few of, of those knocks. But I think there's, there's certainly, you know, a huge, huge future ahead of him. And, and hopefully he can sort of find that consistency. And I suppose the other one as well, I was excited to see what Bobby Clark did during the summer. 
again, excited to see kind of what position he ends up in. Sort of similar to Fabio Cavallio, really, in that you'd kind of put him down as as a 10, but could convert him into an 8, could convert him into a winger. Probably, again, doesn't quite have that pace that you'd like to, to see in wide areas, but certainly at youth level, at least, has, has got that kind of tendency to find the back of the net. So those are, are kind of the two that I'd be looking at at the moment in terms of, of stepping up. But yeah, it, it's still a little bit of a way off. I think Bobby's well, only just turned 17, I think. So he's still you know, very, very young, was obviously on the bench for, for Palace and one or two other players in there as, as well that are very young. But it's just a little bit too soon. I think you'd want that little bit of extra depth before you start turning to those players at this moment in time. And and that's, I suppose, the, the whole difficulty. It's, it sums it up quite well, doesn't it? That you've got these high hopes for, for these players. You don't want to stand in their way. But at the same time, you kind of need an option maybe for, for one or two years just until they're ready, just to, to fill that gap to make sure that Liverpool are at 100% now, but they're not doing that at the cost of, of stopping those players in future. It'd be, it'd be nice to see the Cade Gordon fit in particular, I think, because I think there's opportunities for him there this season. You know, we, we spoke about maybe not wanting to move Harvey Elliott into the front three, you know, even though he's that, that, that left footer that could maybe come in on the right, off the right-hand side like Salah because he's so good in midfield and want to keep him there. So, you know, late in games, five subs. If Salah needs a rest because he's going to play a lot of football again, as he, as he always does, you know, maybe Kay Gordon has a few opportunities for him, but he has to be fit to take them. We we do know Jurgen Klopp, you know, likes him a lot, you know, rates him very highly. And I thought he was really impressive playing off that side um, in the Arsenal League Cup game, wasn't it, away from home. It looked really bright, pretty unfortunate not to score. So, yeah, hopefully he can get fit as soon as possible and, and just pick up a few minutes late in games and, and, and try and start making an impact on the first team because, you know, Jurgen Klopp, he, he's not bothered what age you are. He, he's, he's happy to throw these players in. And if, if you can impress in those little cameos, then maybe that'll lead to more, especially in cup games. Yeah, we, we would have seen that a lot more last season, wouldn't we? After that Arsenal game, he got the injury and it yeah. could have even, you know, had one or two Premier League appearances. You think of it's Harvey Blair, wasn't it, that played? Was that Preston earlier in the, the season? Again, that was when Cade Gordon was injured. That would have been absolutely nailed on it. It would have been Cade well, well ahead of him in the, the pecking order. So, yeah, fingers crossed he can stay fit and, you know, there, there will be opportunities, if not in the Cups, then certainly off the bench at certain times as well. So, yeah, he's he's definitely the one at this moment in time that's that's ready to, to take that next step. Maybe even young Ben Doak as well, brought in from Celtic. He's looking pretty decent in the academy so far, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he started well, hasn't he? I've seen a couple of the, the bits and pieces from him, hoping to, to go across to the academy and, and watch him at some point soon. But, yeah, I think he's he's definitely one that, that needs a bit of time to, to settle in. I think he'll be, be similar, really, to, to Bobby Clark, where he'll have at least one or two seasons with the academy settle in, start to, to show the, the signs really at, at that level and then opportunities obviously come up with pre-season tours and, and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, Ben Doak a little bit early for him yet, but very much a, an exciting talent. Yeah, well, it's becoming apparent that the attack conversation may be taking over the midfield talk that's dominated the summer and it's certainly going to be a big headache for Jurgen Klopp and who knows how or who will line up for Liverpool against Man United on Monday, a game that's certainly going to make headlines for reasons likely off the field potentially more so than on it. But a big thank you though to Matt Addison and David Lynch for joining me on today's show. And of course, a huge thank you to all of you for watching and listening along. Be sure to give us your thoughts and comments on the subject and what you think Liverpool should do in this situation. But for now, thanks for joining us and we'll all catch you next time on The Agenda. You've been listening to The Agenda podcast on the Blood Red channel.